Welcome to IB Talk, the leading podcast for the insurance industry across Australia, New Zealand, and throughout the Asia Pacific region. Brought to you by Insurance Business. Hello, and welcome back to IB Talk. I'm Danny Wood, news editor of Insurance Business Australia. Climate change and natural catastrophes are a big challenge for the insurance industry, and with all the focus on ESG and financial reporting linked to sustainability, what business out there wouldn't find the idea of green insurance broking appealing? Elliott Insurance Brokers, based in Perth, recently rebranded as the Green Broker, but what does that mean exactly? CEO John Elliott is here to talk about it. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Good to have you on. Now, I was reading your media release about your rebranding, and you mentioned a couple of reasons behind it. One of them was the decision to take a break from corporate life and trek around Australia for four years with camels. You got back from that last year. What inspired that trip? I suppose before I left, or I suppose when I started my career, you know, like any young man, I wanted to own as much as I possibly could. And and then you start to get a bit, and I thought maybe I could make a difference and start to change things and influence things for the better. And then I realised uh, all of these things are a little bit naive and big tasks, and I thought I've, I can't really change the world before I really integrally understand it. So I went out there to have a look at the world and um, uh, put foot on dirt, and uh, and it wasn't meant to be a trek as big as it was. It started out as an idea to just go for a little stroll with camels and ended up being a 12,500-kilometre trip through from North Queensland down to the southern tip of Tassie and then up and weaving through seven of the ten major deserts in Australia till I popped out back home over here in WA. Gosh, what a what a fantastic trip! Uh, the, the mention of the word camels, I, I I can't get camel jokes out of my head, so I'm 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 resisting very strongly. <laughs> my 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 ten year old seems to be obsessed with them at the moment. But I mean, yeah. why? Yeah, why why camels in particular? Why why did you choose to trek with them? Oh well, like any good uh, idea in insurance, it came uh, over a bottle of red. Um, there was a friend oh, okay. of mine. <laughs> she uh, I knew I was going to take a big adventure. I wasn't sure what form it was going to take itself. Um, and um, having a, a couple of red wines with a, a friend of mine, she mentioned a great camel story. She had a camel adventure she had when she was in Kenya. She was 19 years old and she entered a camel race and she was the only female in the in the race. It's a two-day race, not just running down a stretch. It goes over a couple of days. And she ends up coming second in this race and won enough money to pay for her whole trip, which is a 19-year-old back in the day. She thought that was pretty good. And I said, I think we've got some camels here. Maybe I'll go for a bit of a stroll with camels and the next day I went into the office and I googled how do you buy a camel and um, about two and a two and a half months later I was uh, training a, a team of wild camels and um, little learning how to train a team of wild camels and that that put me on a year-long path of putting this trek together uh, before I eventually took off. So you actually went with uh, several camels it wasn't just you and one camel? No, no, I started with four and I ended up with six, uh, six camels by the end of it. So I uh, acquired more stuff along the way. And as I got into the, some of the more, more remote places um, in central Australia, uh, the requirement to carry all your own water and supplies uh, increased. And, um, you know, we were going through some pretty remote areas, would have been one of the most remote human beings or isolated human beings in the planet at some stages. The closest human being to me at uh, most of the trek in that central part, it was the International Space Station every time it flew over my head. So, 
Gosh, we could we could talk about this trip for a long time. Uh, we we yeah. probably should get back to insurance issues, but yeah. I'm just I'm interested in 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 what you learned on the trip that that you you feel was was relevant, I suppose, to your to your I guess life purpose and your your career. Yeah, and I think after a trip like that, you can't help but be you know uh, have a perspective shake up on there. Um, T.S. Eliot said. You know, we shall never cease from exploration and at the end of all of our exploring will be to return to the place we began and see the place for the first time. And uh, I think, you know, you come back slightly changed and looking at things in a, a slightly different way. The uh, journey with Elliott Insurance and their sustainable kind of edge has been going for a number of years before this trek. Um, so it was always kind of inside us, but uh, uh, coming back, it's really honed in the focus on on how important this is for myself and also for the company. Mm, and I guess we should underline this was wasn't just a, a trek for a few months. You you went away for was it four, was it four years? Yeah, a year of training and preparing, and three and a half years of walking. So uh, it wasn't exactly quick. Camels don't have a high top end speed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and what about your your business? I mean, your, I know your brokerage obviously existed for a number of years before that. Was yes. was everything okay when you got back? Yeah, I, I, it's a funny uh, story. My CFO, uh, when I was taking off, she put her hand on my shoulder and said, "I promise it won't be worse when you get back." Um, and true to her <laughs> word, the, the business kept growing, and um, we had the four longest serving uh, team members. Um, who, who uh, stood up and uh, shared the management uh, roles and uh, supported each other along there as well. It was a bit of a learning journey for them, and they really all stepped up to the plate and have come back to um, uh, you know view certain things and gone, oh, the God, it's uh, it's done better than when I <laughs> when I was back there. So uh, now they did an amazing job, and um, uh, they've given us a great a great war chest to kind of play with now to really make some impact. That was um interesting how your your colleague didn't didn't set your expectations too high. It's, it won't be worse yeah, when you get yeah, back. Yeah. <laughs> that was probably a good strategy. Set the bar low and then look awesome casually stepping over it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and I mean I'm imagining imagining you coming back after four years. I mean obviously presumably you kept in touch in some way through most of that time. But I mean what was it like walking into your first corporate meeting at your insurance brokerage after four years? out in the middle of nowhere with camels. Yeah, well, it, it's kind of, you get this really um, clear before and after picture because um, I wasn't involved too much. Uh, the, the team really did step up and take over all management aspects. So there'd be, uh, you know, periods of months on end where I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, wasn't involved or, you know, even get a phone call uh, regarding everything. So I really stepped out. And so when it came back in, it was a very clear, you know, before and after picture, you know, not just in my company, but in the whole entire industry, you know, going to an underwriter uh, convention and uh, only recognise a few of the names. Uh, everyone shifted. The market's very different to what it was five years ago. So uh, for the first few months coming back, there wasn't really much I could do other than re-educate myself and, and learn and catch up on what's happened. So for the first few months, it was really just uh, watch, and, uh, watch and observe. That's interesting because I guess as a journalist covering the industry, I'm often trying to compare things, but you had the advantage of having a break for that length of time. It probably clarified a lot of the trends in the industry and just what was going on 
especially in Western Australia. What what were some of the changes that you noticed in your absence in the industry? Well, uh, I came back and I uh, there was an issue with one specific little issue that we had with a particular insurer, and I I said to the team, I was like, all right, well, get me the number for the BDM. I'll give them a call. Who's the BDM there these days? And they're like, what? There's not one. And I was like, oh well, what about the state manager? Oh, we're not sure who that is. Like the the <laughs> the dynamics of the insurer and the underwriter relationships has definitely changed. Uh, from that point of view, it seems to be a little less uh, support in that in that regard. And not not by all, but by some some of them uh, in there, it's not as clear. I was I was thinking that the technology would have moved along a bit quicker, but um, that seems to still be getting a fair bit of resistance. And um, I think insurer tech's obviously a hot topic, and uh, a lot of brokers have figured out how to play. But it's a very chaotic and messy landscape where everyone's just running their own race and doing their own thing, and it's very hard for a lot of systems to talk to each other. So I noticed that was still a bit of a chaotic mess. But overall, um, I think the the level of professionalism and uh, upskilling the people, um, although the wages have obviously gone up significantly, the, I think the skill sets also really matched it as well. People are out there uh, really trying to hone their craft and their skills. I noticed um, some people had made that I knew had made some massive leaps and bounds, you know, personally and professionally. Uh, and I got that same before and after picture of them as well. And the, the, it was really impressive to see a lot of, uh, young West Australian brokers uh, progress so much in such a short period of time. That is good news for Western Australia. And it's interesting what you say about technology, because that is a common broker complaint that, you know, often it's insurers who they're complaining about when they're talking about the technology difficulties. But what, what about the market um, generally? Uh, we're in a hard market and have been for some years. Did that sort of seem to have worsened to you in some areas in an obvious way or or much the same as when you left? Yeah, that was a, that was a definitely an adjustment as well. So the market was very different five years ago to what it is now, and um, especially when you combine that as well with the slight drop in the the relations with the insurers or the amount of BDMs and uh, relationship managers there as well, you kind of just get thrown down the chute, and the chute is uh, very much a yes or no answer on a lot of things. So the broker seems to have lost a little bit of agency within within that setup, and uh, some of the uh, relationship-based deals that you used to be able to get across the line, it's it's definitely a much harder play now. Let, let's talk about your recent acquisition of, of actually green insurance brokers. Uh, that that was the other motive for your rebranding as the green broker. What yes. inspired you in particular about this firm? Well, uh, as I mentioned, when I came back, I uh, was looking at how we were going to really launch our offering and participate in um, mainly in the carbon offsetting space and uh, I was doing a bit of market research and looking around at if anyone else had you know who else was in the in the game and uh, I came across green insurance brokers and then coincidentally ran into uh, its owner Peter Blackmore it was so refreshing to sit down uh, the first time we met up it was four or five hours we were just sitting there chatting and we were on the same page on the same level of what we wanted to achieve and to mobilize the insurance industry to make true and general impact in this area and uh, we were just so on the same page that we thought why would we be doing this separately it just makes so much sense to join forces um, and uh, come at this problem together and uh, within 
two or three months, uh, Peter Blackmore joined us. And it was really more so about uh, the alignment of values with me and Peter and the work that we could we could do together than the uh, than the acquisition of the brokerage. Mm, is there a way of, um, I guess, summarising what you together see as what the insurance industry needs to do in in the, I guess, ESG environmental climate sustainability space for want of a better summary of that? Well, the European markets, obviously, uh, in the London market is very well established in this area. So, you know, when you even you look at uh, insuring people's voluntary carbon offsets, you know, there's not really much of an array of option here in Australia, but people are buying offsets of various quality. Um, and what happens if those forest regeneration programs burns down or the uh, credit that's being sold alongside an electric vehicle, the electric vehicle's written off, what happens to that credit? And I think it's all a bit wishy-washy at, at the moment because there's no solid insurance programs that are backing it up. So uh, first and foremost, uh, we're working with providers and offset providers in order to shore up their, their offset programs and then also acting as a bit of a guide for uh, the SME and corporate sectors to help navigate them through that ESG process um, and making sure the insurance programs align with that as well. Mm. I guess carbon offset programs do sometimes come in for some stick and, and criticism yeah. because some companies, as, as you better understand than me, tend to use them as a way of, you know, they'll offset their pollution, but they won't do anything themselves to to move their company towards sustainability. I mean, what is, is that an issue, do you think, in Australia? And what can Look, you guys do about it? It's an, it's an issue at the moment, I think, just because of the wild array of uh, the way that these uh, companies are calculating and what what uh, what account, a carbon accounting software that they're using or whether they're just running an Excel spreadsheet with some formulas, So, which is a surprisingly high amount of organisations that do that. Now, there's options out there like Climate Clever, which is an initiative that came out of the Curtin University Sustainability Program. And Vanessa there has created this carbon accounting software that doesn't just report on the, the carbon that's being generated within the business, but it also helps educate that corporation or small to medium business uh, on tips and tricks in order to reduce their, uh, their carbon as well. So I think as the accounting software for this gets more intelligent and there's more options in that regard, uh, then people will have a better guide to be able to participate. Because I, I, I think most who are participating are doing it with the best of intention. They intend to do it well. Like, I, I think that's the case more so than the greenwashing uh, that's out there. And I think um, the, if they've got the correct tools and the, clever, uh, you know, adequate programs and, um, and applications to be able to apply to this issue, uh, that they will operate in a, under a much cleaner fashion. Mm. Uh, to, to what extent are you targeting, I suppose, um, I guess, accounting firms, financial services areas, uh, which I guess are sectors that can imp up their game, but it's not the oil and gas industry, is it? Or, or are you, is, that, is that an ambition too, to be sort of partnering in that area where I guess most of the climate issues obviously sit at the moment? Well, the easiest area to start is with the organisations and the people that are already participating. So, um, you know, going and working with some of these industry partners like Climate Clever and Carbon Neutral and uh, not just speaking with them, but speaking with their audience that are already attempting to, 
you know, uh, offset their, their emissions uh, to date. Um, and then from there, using what we learn with those clients in order to help educate and bring people along for the journey that haven't quite started theirs yet. Um, we've got a partnership with an organisation called Seed Culture, which is a sustainability education platform. Um, and we regularly give away free seats to that education platform, which is a great starter for people to figure out how to begin that journey. And we're not about excluding a particular company because of, you know, like the oil and gas industry. We've insured some of the uh, oil and gas projects offshore here in WA before as a company. Um, I think as these companies continue on, they're going to begin the transition um, and they're going to begin addressing the carbon issues within their own companies. And FMG is a prime example of that uh, with their futures fund and their uh, commitment to, I think it's uh, net zero by 2050. Do you have any advice for brokers who are, I guess, engaged in that market and they have clients who are in oil and gas and they need to move them along, but they're not quite sure how, because that, I mean, that must be a tough conversation to have, I guess. Well, it's, it's, but it's not a rare one and we're not the only okay. financial services that are having those discussions. I mean, it's very, uh, very well established now in the finance and the banking sector with uh, green loans and uh, including the client's risk side outside of the financial side of things. Um, in their risk profile and the products that they offer, discounting for companies that are ticking certain boxes. So it's not that far-fetched that the insurance industry would follow suit and some of the insurers are already considering how do they assess that as a part of their underwriting criteria and do they in order to try and move uh, clients towards it. How do you see all the climate and ESG re related reporting requirements uh, uh, like, like this, these ISSB standards? There are a lot of sort of acronyms in there. Uh, are you guys across those? Do you need to be? Are you adopting them? I mean, how's how do you see all that regulation? Yeah, look, I, I, it is a bit of the Wild West at the moment, I think. And uh, there's you know several different certifications that you can go down the path of. Uh, but I think that first and foremost, it's the most clear and accurate reporting that you can, can have. Um, making that as public as you can. That's why we use uh, Climate Clever in order to have open and transparency on 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 the operations of our, our organisation. We generally advise others to do the exact same thing as well. Start with reporting, um, with good solid reporting, um, and then you clearly can understand where to move to. John Elliott, thanks very much for spending some time with IB Talk. My pleasure. Great chatting with you. Thank you for listening to IB Talk. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher and Apple Podcasts.